Amen. Let's open up to Romans chapter 12. And as we're turning there, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be able to come before you in prayer. God, in, in success, in triumph, in victory, because Jesus died on the cross. God, we are so thankful for your sacrifice, your love. God, may you fill us with gratitude. Father, may you soften our hearts this morning as we hear the scriptures, God. Father, may people be able to allow the scriptures to cut their heart appropriate to their lives. Father, give us maturity to be able to understand which portions, if maybe all of it, you're speaking to us so that we can grow in our relationship with you. God, discipline us, train us, teach us to be more like your son. We are so thankful for everything that you do for us. God, we pray you be with this time, be with this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Romans chapter 12, in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve of what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Right here is where we get the theme text for today's Bring Your Neighbor Day, Transformed. Amen? And right here, Paul's admonition to the Christians, the disciples of Rome, was that they were to be transformed. And so the title of this morning's lesson is Salvation Through Transformation. See, because at the end of the day, you cannot be saved if you haven't been transformed. The whole point of salvation is that you become anew. You become a different person. You become Christ-like. Salvation through transformation. In verse 1, we're going to break down this, this uh, text for today's lesson. In verse 1, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's incredible because we are so blessed to be able to worship Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. In the Old Testament... The standard of the forgiveness of sins was that you would sacrifice a live animal and that the blood of that animal, your blood for their blood, your sin would be forgiven by God. But the problem was that as time went on, it was no longer something that was sacred, but rather a burden. To the point that in the later times of Israel, in Hosea chapter 8, verse 13, he says, Though they offer sacrifices as gifts to me, and though they eat the meat, the Lord is not pleased with them. Now he will remember their wickedness and punish their sins. They will return to Egypt. And how powerful it was to hear Lonnie up here and to share, really just broken hearted. You know, but the reality is, guys, is when our relationship with God becomes a burden, we naturally return to our enslavement to sin. In Isaiah 1.11, God says, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Really what God is saying is, He goes, I never wanted the animals. I never wanted their blood. I wanted your heart. You know, I know for me, this last week has been an eye-opening week. God has been refining my character, to say the least. And I've been getting a lot of just discipling in my character. And yet, 
right here we understand something that it all comes down to the heart and the moment our relationship with God becomes a burden rather than a blessing is the moment that we've lost the heart that God has been looking for from the very beginning you can come to church you can read your Bible you can pray but that does not mean your heart is with the Lord and so in the Israelites so time went on until their offering sacrifices became a burden and a routine rather than a sacrifice of overflowing gratitude for the love that God had for them and even for maybe some of us now see but the reality is that right here in verse 1 Paul helps us to understand that true and proper worship to God is rooted in seeing the mercy of God Paul says in view of God's mercy offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship you know it's incredible because when our heart is in the wrong place it becomes the opposite it becomes not holy it becomes regular it becomes mainstream which you see so often now today it becomes displeasing to God and it's false and out of place you know I find this incredible because some of us here are better at faking than others but the reality is if you've had a bad week if your heart is not with the Lord if you got drunk the night before looked at pornography were immoral whatever it may be if your heart's not with the Lord you can't hide it because you're coming in and your worship is out of place and it sticks out like a sore thumb I put before you that pretty much every person in here could point you out it's that obvious and the challenge is that in James 1 in the last verses James exalts the Christians and he says hey religion that God accepts and of course the word religion is the same word for worship he says it's faultless it is this it is to take care of widows and orphans in their distress what does that mean an act of mercy and that's why right here Paul says hey in view of God's mercy offer yourselves as living sacrifices well to understand that we need to know what mercy is the word mercy here is actually not singular it's a plural word and so really it's in God in view of God's mercies see God's mercy is not once and every it's a daily occurring thing in our lives God is continually merciful in our lives but the word mercy is is oikotrimos which means to have pity on and compassion see what is mercy mercy is pity See, he says in God's mercy inside of God's mercy understand that when God comes down he looks at you and he just has pity he sees the sin the harassment the wickedness in our lives and rather than get angry and become that condemning angry fiery God that we sometimes think of he's consumed with mercy so I put before you that we can't genuinely worship God if we don't have a, a correct view of Him. Too, too often the, the, the world will, will, point, will paint extremes. They'll say, yeah, God is a consuming fire. They'll put up stupid things like prostitutes are going to hell, gays are going to hell, and they will turn off people's hearts. But then you've got the opposite side of people where they go, hey, Jesus died on the cross, so therefore there's nothing I can do to be saved. So even though I'm living just like the world, even though I'm being immoral every night, getting drunk on the weekends, I'm saved. And there's an ignorance 
and a shame that enters into religion. And right here, if we're going to worship God properly and truthfully, we need to see God for what He truly is, which is merciful. That He's taken pity on us to the point that He is willing to sacrifice His Son on the cross. It's incredible because 2 Corinthians 1.3 says that we have a Father of compassion and a God of comfort. In a lot of ways, what is the mercy of God? Because we have to get this if we want to be transformed through our salvation. We need to view God's mercy properly. What is the mercy of God? It is the equivalent of giving food to a stray dog. That dog does not deserve the food, nor has it done anything to receive the food. It is simply out of mercy. You're not, you don't, you're not expecting the dog to sit or roll over or shake or whatever it may be. It's an act of mercy. You're just giving food to a stray dog. But what if that stray dog were to begin to expect being fed? And that it felt that it, it deserved to be fed and that it was entitled to be fed. I appreciate what Michael said in his, in his welcome. Some of us, maybe we just feel like we've just had a bad week and things aren't going good. Look, things aren't going good because this is life. Salvation is the pity of God. That he goes, hey, I can comfort you through my love. I can comfort you through the things that I can give you, which is salvation. That doesn't mean that God's going to make sinful men stop being sinful toward you. You live in a world of wickedness that is ruled by Satan. God's pity, God's comfort, God's mercy is that he is your hope. Which means that even when you have the worst week in the world, your smile should not be any less vibrant on Sunday morning. See, when you understand God's mercy, you are strong in the grace of God. Which means that you have a a, a, a tenacity about you in your relationship with God, but you also have a humility to accept the forgiveness of God. I feel so sad for so many <clears throat> religions that implement unnecessary standards for righteousness. Drinking coffee is a sin. No, being immoral is a sin. Just stop being immoral. You can drink all the coffee you want. Playing football is a sin because it's violent. No, smoking marijuana is a sin. Stop smoking marijuana and you can play all the football you want. And we invent forms of righteousness to take away what's not there, which is just a simply committed relationship with God. See, the reality is, is you can't be a Christian and be living in a moral relationship. The reality is you can't be living like a Christian and smoking pot or getting drunk every night or on the weekends or whenever. It comes down to standard and heart. You cannot be a Christian if you live that way. <clears throat> that's how the world lives but see when we understand the mercy of God the grace of God we're not gonna want to do those things we don't want to do those things those things are not pleasing to us because we see the mercy of God we see the pity that he has taken on us turn to Matthew chapter 15 <clears throat> you know as I was writing this this lesson uh, the, the scripture in Matthew 15 that I've I've kind of understood, but I've never really fully grasped, really hit me in an incredible way. <clears throat> and in Matthew chapter 15, in verse 21, <clears throat> some of us may have read this, and I hope that it gleans a new insight for you. It says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre inside. A Canaanite woman, which is a Gentile, there's a very racist vibe in Israel at this time, and so their view literally is like they're dirt, they're dirty, they're bad, right? Of course, they worship false gods, so they are bad. But it says that this Canaanite woman comes to Jesus, and it says that she comes to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. 
My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. What is she saying? Lord, take pity on my situation. Comfort me. Have compassion for me. But interesting, look at Jesus' response. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. For she keeps crying out after us. They were very merciful, amen? He answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. See, to understand the scripture, we have to understand what mercy is. This woman comes to Jesus, she says, have mercy on me. But we understand that God had a plan. Jesus came amongst the Israelites. He died for the sins of the world. And it wouldn't be until 10 years after that that Peter would then go to the house of Cornelius in Acts 10, and God's word would be freely given, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles as well, which, praise God, that's every single one of you. Amen? But Jesus says, hey, I was sent with a purpose. It would not be right for me to take away from the Jews, which I've come here for, and give it to the Gentiles. And she says, Lord, even the dogs get the crumbs. And Jesus goes, whoa. Because what was she saying? She was saying, Lord, I know that you want to have mercy on me. Please help me. But this morning, do you believe that God is a merciful God? Do you believe that he wants to help you through your circumstance? Do you believe that he can and will help you overcome any challenges in your life? That doesn't mean that he's going to give you a handout. He's going to give you a hand up. See, we live in a society where we just want handouts, right? I don't want to fill out paperwork. Just give me a check for $1,000. You want me to give accountability for the jobs I've been looking for in order to get my unemployment? Pfft. What is that? We want a handout. God doesn't give handouts. See, at the end of the day, if you got yourself in a predicament, you got to get yourself out of it. See, God's not here to fix your problems. He's here to fix your soul. But he's going to give you a hand up. But do you believe that that is the heart of God? That when he looks at you, he's merciful. He desires to help you. He desires to save you. He desires to comfort you and have pity on you. Amen. See, this woman's faith was rooted in the mercy of God. Her faith was very simple. Her faith was, I believe you can do it, and I believe you want to do it. That's the faith that we have to have this morning, guys. You know, I think about Lonnie this morning, sharing, getting restored. You know, it's incredible because... You know, Lonnie, like he said, was baptized when he was 14, was a part of the church. And yet this last year, Lonnie lost the heart of a disciple. He became very deceitful and was living a double life. Coming to church, but living in sin. And yet now, it's incredible because now that he sees the mercy of God, it's transformed him in an incredible way. And yet the changes are just beginning, guys. And I'm so proud of you, Lonnie. You know, but everything we do needs to be rooted in the mercy of God. If not, our worship becomes a lie. It's not special and it's out of place. But you've got to ask yourself, are you the black sheep in the room this morning? You know, the cool thing is you don't have to be. The awesome thing about God is that God's mercy is immediate. 
and it's a change of heart. See, the moment you choose to change is the moment you change. If you don't change, it, that was the moment you thought you chose to change. You really didn't make the decision. See, but for us, ask yourself, are you rooted in God's mercy? Is every and any action that you make rooted in gratitude for the compassion that God has had for you? Or have you been expecting to be fed? Have you been expecting to be cared for when you come here to church? Let me tell you, if you've come here for any other reason except for God, first and foremost, you've missed the mark, which is the definition of sin. We come here first to worship God. Secondly, to care for one another. But we can't get that mixed up because the reality is, guys, I hate to say it, I can't meet your needs. You can't meet each other's needs. Only God can do that. I can try my best, but you will get upset at me at one point because I will fall short because, like you, I'm a sinner. But you know who can meet your needs is God. And so I want to encourage us. Maybe you're one of those people that just kind of feels incontent in the fellowship. You've been pointing your fingers around, but you forget there are three fingers pointing right back at you. And you know where you're, where you're really pointing? God. Yep. Your complaints are toward God. Because I don't believe that if God is a God of mercy, I don't believe that God can give us discontentment. Yep. How can he give us the, the mercy and yet the opposite at the same time? Something's mixed up. The discontentment comes from ourselves. And so I think what we need to do is we need to get in touch with what mercy is. Mercy, opposite of sacrifice, is when you do something with absolutely no expectation for a return. Like feeding someone that's poor. Like taking care of widows and orphans. They have nothing to offer you. And so my challenge for us is very simple. Do an act of mercy this week. Do an act of mercy. Do something that doesn't benefit you in any way. That's why Jesus says in the Sermon of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5-7, through 7, Hey, when you pray, go into a room by yourself so no one can hear you. Why? Because the Pharisees and the people became religious and they would pray outside out loud so the people would hear them and see them. And Jesus goes, go do it by yourself. That doesn't mean you have to pray in a room by yourself. But is that your heart? When you pray, is it to God or is it to be heard? When you give your special missions, is it for God or is it to be someone who gave the most? When you bring a visitor to church, is it to be seen or to meet a quota? Or is it because you're grateful that God has forgiven you for your sins? See, we have to be able to see and righteously be rooted in the mercy of God. Point number two, we go back to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> Paul says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Point number two, conformity guarantees condemnation. See, the reality is, guys, is the world 2,000 years ago was the exact same as it is today. And if God allows it to exist for 2,000 more years, it will be the same then as it is now. Why? Because humanity never changes. Maybe the way it looks, the way it dresses, the food it eats, what it likes may change. But the fact of our sinful nature of greed, impurity, pride, selfishness, these things never change. And so when Paul says, do not conform to the ways of this world, that's what he's talking about. 
He says, don't imitate the world, but take confidence in the fact that you are a new creation. That was the sin of the Old Testament. The sin of the Israelites in the Old Testament wasn't necessarily they worshiped false gods, even though that happened at times. It was that they were, try they were imitating and trying to be like the Canaanites. They were trying to be like the Moabites. And in the midst of that, they would eventually get to idol worship. But the sin of it was that the Israelites were not content with God alone. See, but for a lot of us, we conform. That's what we do by nature. I mean, it's a reality. It's not racism. It's, not, it's none of that. You put me in a room with a bunch of older gentlemen, and I, I see one young guy. I'm going to go talk to that guy because that's my comfort zone. But see, the incredible thing is when we're transformed by God, so is our comfort zone. See, look around you right now. Look around you. This isn't just a white church. This isn't a black church. This isn't an older church. This isn't a younger church. This is a church of all ages, all races, of all nations. Amen? Yeah. Why? Because when we conform, we condemn. See, but right here, we have to be renewed in our mindsets. You know, the incredible thing is the word renew literally means to renovate. We got some sisters in the house that like to be able to buy stuff and decorate. Like to go shopping, right? I know uh, you have to get your winter clothes coming up here soon, amen? Even though you got three years past the winter clothes, you know? You know, but it's incredible because right here, what Paul says is that you need to renovate yourself. I, I, I love those shows where people will go in and they'll buy a house that's in foreclosure and they'll, they'll renovate it and then they'll fix it back up and they'll sell it for hopefully a profit. Or of course, it's a little bit vulgar, but the show Pimp My Ride, you guys ever seen that? It's a little bit old, Exhibit. The car after looks nothing like the car before. That's what our lives need to be like in Christ. But a lot of us, you go, huh, looks like the same car. I noticed you changed your rims a little bit. You got a new, you got a new air filter, so you get like one more mile per gallon. But it, it looks the same. See, but the word transformation is the word metamorphosis which is what happens when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. That's the extent of change that is expected of us when we're moved by God. And this is not a temporary change. So you may be moved right now, but if you live the same way this week you did last week, you haven't been changed. See, it's a transformation. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we act. It changes what we like, dislike. Why? Because everything is rooted solely on God. I love wrestling. We got some wrestlers in the house. Amen? I love wrestling. But that doesn't mean that I need to go party at the college. See, I am who I am, and you are who you are, and God created you to be that way. But that doesn't mean that you use your body as an instrument of sin, but rather of righteousness. 1 Corinthians 3 says that our body is our temple. It's our house. And the reality is you need to renovate your house. You need to change your heart. You ever been to a home where it's like just, it, it, the design is thoroughly confused. You've got like a couch from the 70s. You've got like tables that are two years old. You've got wallpaper over here painted. It's like the most confused home on earth. You ever been to something like that? See, the reality is, is that for us, every single one of us has something good about us. Every single one of us. But we also have flat sides. I have a flat side. It's my organization. That's why you have a calendar until 2016. I'm trying to take some serious repentance here, guys. Amen? 
But the reality is, is that when you renovate, you're continually fixing yourself up. See, because it's not good enough to be what you are now. But have you been transformed? Is the you now someone totally different than the you before? When people see you, does it blow their mind when they see the way you act and the way you live your life? When I, when I, when I look at renovating, there's two types of people. There's people that are uh, never content. They're like always trying to fix something. Like we just got, praise God, someone gave, gave us a, a gift. We were able to get a TV because our old one broke. And then we ended up getting like this, um, like, a, like a table, like uh, shelves. Colleen's already tired of them. She wants to look for something else. <laughs> then you've, no, Goodwill, bro. <laughs> then you've got people that never want to change. I think about Raul Moreno in Sao Paulo. He was telling me that he goes back to his parents' house. He said, literally, it's the exact same from when he was a kid. Nothing has changed. And that's how we can be. See, some of us, we're, we're constantly discontented. And we go, oh, God, I'm not grateful for God. God's not working my life. No, 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 you just need to be content. And that is God goes, hey, I want you to get a new lamp. That one's starting to crack. It's not very bright. Not a lot of people can see. Amen. But some of us, we go, hey, I've, I've had that lamp since I was 10. <laughs> hey, I got 7-Eleven with that Slurpee cup with my best friend who died 14 years ago. I'm not getting rid of that plastic cup. <laughs> hey, that's my lasagna Tupperware. Bro, it's molding. Hey, don't you to think about throwing that away. I will kill you. <laughs> we can be that way, though, can't we? And a lot, sometimes we'll hold on to our sin. Right? Hey, I'm open about this, I'll change this, but I'm not going to talk about that. See, when we're Christians, guys, when we have discipling relationships, there is, there is nothing that is off limits in our lives. Nothing. Why? Because that off limit, that's, that's where the sin's at. And a lot of us, even as we come to church, we like to live in the shadows. Right? John 3 talks about being in the dark. We like to be in the shadows. Where it's kind of like, oh, hey, how's it going over there? Right? Like, oh, good, good. But you can't really see what's going on. Guys, as Christians, we put ourselves underneath the light for surgery. Amen? It's bright when there's surgery. I don't know about you, but I do not want the surgeon working on me in a dark room. Do you? But then some of us, we show up to church and we dim the lights in our lives. We don't want to be, how's it going? Good? How's your week? Oh, it's not bad. It's good to see you though, bro. Good to see you there. I gotta go. Right? It's like we're in a race for like his most side hugs in a minute. Like, and we're not being real with ourselves. See, but that's conforming to the people around us. See, but as, as disciples, we need to base our lives solely on the scriptures and how it directs us. And yet this means that we're going to have to change huge things in our lives. Yeah. It also means that we're going to have to be content with our walk with God. Yeah. That God may call us to the farthest horizons of where we ne never thought we would go. I was joking about in the Kids Kingdom group, what if Osvaldo was called to go on the mission team to Japan? Right? You got this dude from Mexico who speaks Japanese and Spanish. That'd be pretty funny. But I was like, man, but Osvaldo has the heart. That needs to be every single one of us. Are you not willing to leave this city? Is there anything you're not willing to do for God? You haven't been entirely transformed then. And you need to be able to fix that lamp fixture in your heart because your light is dim. 
You need to take the shade off of it because it's not helping anyone, let alone yourself. But the renovation looks different for all of us. The different changes we have to make, who we are, how we live, it's different. But the expectation is the same, and that's biblical. Amen? But you know, I think, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. See, there's a standard that we have to look to that is set by God. It's not set by me. See, at this point, guys, I've only been reading scriptures. None of this is my opinion. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Paul says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Right here, we get mixed up sometimes. We'll go, yeah, anyone that doesn't believe in Jesus, I shouldn't be. No, no, no. That's not what it's saying. What is a believer? It's not somebody who believes in the existence of Jesus Christ. There are plenty of people doing that. Mormons believe in Jesus. It's those who are living by the scriptures. It's those who are living as disciples of Jesus Christ. That's a believer. And the instruction of Paul is very simple. Don't yoke yourself. Don't adhere yourself. Don't tie yourself down to someone whose standard is opposite of yours. But what can light have with darkness? That's what a shadow is. That's what a dim light is. It's when your standards are mixed up. But as Christians, when we're transformed, it's not partial. It's not 90%. It's not Lysol, 99.9%. It's 100%. That's what it is. Guaranteed. But for us, we have to look at ourselves and go, okay, am I yoking myself to anything that is not of God? But what does it take to be a true believer? Well, 1 Timothy 4.16 says we need to watch our life and our doctrine. We need to watch the way we live and what we believe. You know, by a show of hands, be honest with yourself, Throw your hand up if you believe you're saved. Throw your hand on up. That's awesome. Put your hands on down. But here's the deal. If you cannot explain to me your salvation through the scriptures right now on the spot, you should not have the confidence to put your hand up. I would not dare call myself a rocket scientist and not know what rocket science is. Nor should we dare to call ourselves Christians if we don't even know what the Bible teaches. Do you know what the plan of salvation is in not just John 3.16, but throughout the entire Bible? Then how can you put your hand up and be rooted in confidence? See, guys, that's what we've got to be able to see. The transformation, it's, it's mental, it's in the heart, it's, it's everything about us changes. But each and every one of us needs to undergo a renovation in our life and our doctrine. They can't be off. Maybe your life is on pretty straight, but if you're going to a church that's teaching false doctrine... Where's the, where's the godliness in that? Or maybe you're going to a great church. Maybe you're here this morning, but your life's off. And you don't got to tell anybody. You can be faking it until you think you're going to make it to hell. But your life and doctrine got to be one and one. They can't be off. Who here would want to get in a plane knowing that the left wing is higher than the right wing? I'm not getting in that airplane. But that's what we do. See, a transformation means that it, it's complete. And you know what the reality is? It's going to be painful at times. The Bible compares itself to a sword cutting the heart. Not about you guys, but if somebody just came up and cut me, I don't know how I'd respond. I know how Aaron Turner would respond. 
See, but instead of fighting back or running, right? Because that's what we are. We have a fight or flight response. We get challenged on our sin. We either fight back or we run away. Hey, bro, I want to talk to you about this. I don't like your tone. Hey, bro, I want to talk to you about this. Hey, I'm not. Maybe we can get together in 2017. We have a fight or flight response. But we have to respond faithfully. That when someone cuts us with the scriptures, not their own opinions, their own words, but with the scriptures, we have to learn, part of the renovation, we have to learn to embrace it. We have to learn to embrace that pain. Pain is neither good nor bad. It's neutral. It's your brain telling you that something's not right. You put your hand on the stove, your brain's going to say, you probably need to remove that as fast as possible. It's not good. But also, on the flip side, it's not going to be paralyzed either. To not feel pain is just as bad as severe pain, if not worse. You could leave your hand on there and your brain doesn't even know what's going on. Start smelling smoke. Oh my gosh. Pain is a good thing, guys. We need to embrace the scriptures, even though it may hurt. You know, but I want to give us a very simple challenge. Sit down with someone and get some renovation plans. Get into a Bible study. Well, why? Because, well, going into point number three, if we're not transformed, Romans 12 says we cannot distinguish good from evil. And we cannot know what the will of God is. And the will of God is the only thing that stands, guys. The will of God gets you into heaven. Not whether you shared your faith this week. Not whether you have 100 visitors this morning or not. The will of God. Did you live by the will of God? That is our duty. Amen? Amen. Point number three. Living for the will of God. But what is the will of God? I mean, that's kind of like, a, a, kind of like an open-ended statement. The will of God. Well, I could say the will of God is to go jump off a bridge. How do we know what the will of God is? Well, John 7, verse 17. Jesus was tested on these things as well. And he says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. First thing we need to see is, one, the will of God is rooted in the Word of God. Amen? So if somebody's teaching you to do something that is contrary to the Scriptures, you can be guaranteed that is not the will of God. The second thing is it's a mentality. It's a mentality that is accompanied by humility. To trust the people around us and to trust and have the faith to put out signs. You know, look at Chris Green right here. Chris had a, we had a plan together. He was going to be moving back to Orlando to be with his family. And yet, I didn't even know this, because Chris is a great guy. He put out a fleece about a, jo- a dream job that he's always wanted. He said, God, if, if you let me get this, it means I need to stay. Praise God, he got the job, and he's staying. Amen? Oh, actually, bro, never mind. No, no, no. He's staying. No, you can't leave. See, but you got to have faith. you got to trust God. But I believe that the will of God is really seen in two areas. And there's a lot of strings attached to it. But the first one is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's go there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 16. Paul says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, that's how I know it's God's will, because Paul says it's God's will. But we really got to look at this and ask ourselves, do we have true worship? Are we rooted in the mercy of God? Are you rejoicing always? Or does life put stipulations on how, God, how great God really is? 
Do you pray continually? Or are your prayers only brought on by desperate times? Do you give thanks in all situations? Or do you get bent out of shape when plans don't go your way? And of course, verse 19, he says, Do not quench the Spirit. Are you quenching the Spirit this morning? What does that mean? Well, it's very simple. Quenching the Spirit is like putting out a candle. Not blowing on it. You ever put your hand or a piece of paper or, or something over the top of a candle, what happens? Does it go out right away? No, it slowly dims out and dies. You cut off the supply of oxygen to it. See, guys, we need to understand something. The Holy Spirit is what gives our soul strength. And when we are, instead of rejoicing, we're sorrowful. When we're not prayerful, when we're ungrateful, unthankful, we put that covering over the candle and we quench the Spirit so that it ends up taking the light out. But you know, God is not stipulated by time. God is in the beginning, the end, the now. So in the same way, how quickly that light goes out is not determined by time. It's not like a, a two-week thing. Hey, if you don't read your Bible for two weeks, the light's out. Right. Everyone's different. But I can tell you what, some of us could be sitting here right now and the light is out. Because you've cut off the supply of the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is, is God's strength, God's existence in us, guys. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. I mean, the Old Testament only dreams of what it would be like to have the Holy Spirit. Each and every single one of us has the Holy Spirit. But biblically, how do you get that? There's a lot of different opinions on that. Yeah. Hey, you've got to speak in tongues if you want the Holy Spirit. Hey, you're just born with it. Hey, God just gives it to you when you call on his name. When do we get it? Well, let's keep our finger here. Let's jump over to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. See, because again, we've got to be biblically rooted. It's not doing you no good or me no good if I'm just going to stand up here and give my opinions. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is speaking to the crowd at Pentecost, and he calls them to change their lives and they have the heart. They have a heart to be transformed. And so they ask him, hey, what are we going to do? Verse 38, Peter replied, repent, be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right here, Peter says very simply, you've got to change your heart. The word repent is mataneo. It means literally a 180 degree turn. That's the transformation we're talking about. 180 degrees change. He says, you've got you to gotta change in your heart, which leads to action. You've got to be baptized. Your sins will be forgiven. And then you receive the Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible? God's Spirit within us. You know, I'm not an objective person. Maybe some of you guys, well, that's not the way I was taught. Well, maybe you were taught wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. That's why you've got to get into the Scriptures to root yourselves righteously. See, but the reality is, for each and every one of us, guys, we need to understand that the will of God is to be in the grace of God, is to be in view of God's mercy. That's His will. He doesn't want you to live in a state of fear and panic, that you're always doing something wrong, you're never going to be good enough. No, you're already good enough. That's why Jesus died on the cross. See, that's the will of God. The second thing is this. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2, in verse 1. Paul says, I urge you then, first of all, 
that prayers, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is such an incredible scripture, guys. Why? Because Paul opens it up and he, he tells Timothy to pray for one specific thing. It's not for a, a quiet life. Paul doesn't want, hey, my desire is for you guys to become monks, lock yourselves in homes, and never spread the word. No, guys, evangelism is a command, not a gift. And yet right here, what does he mean by quiet lives? Well, you have to understand, Christianity was a highly persecuted belief. To be a Christian, put your own life in jeopardy and the lives of your family members in jeopardy. In the first century, when they were building construction and building roads, you know what they did to light it up at night? They would take the dead bodies of Christians and light them on fire after impaling them on rods. That's the level of value Christians had in the eyes of the Romans. So when Paul says, pray for the kings and all those in authority, that we could have freedom in Christ in our faith. Yeah. Guys, that prayer has been answered in the United States, amen? We can worship God freely right now. We can go out and tell anybody what we want about Jesus, and yet for some reason, we're afraid to. Because of what they may think, what they may do. But we need to understand the will of God is for every creature, every human, to know God. Not just to know about Jesus, but to be saved. To come to a knowledge of the truth. Now sadly, as humans, we can choose to deny that, can't we? See, God has offered Jesus on the cross. He's given us no excuse not to be in heaven with him. We have to choose to take that sacrifice for our own lives. But that's the will of God. The will of God over all things is that we can be in heaven with him. The question this morning is, are you living by that will? Again, there's a lot of strings attached to it. See, the reality is, is that our responsibility is not just Portland. And I think what can happen is that we can become very narrowed in our vision. And the only thing we see is what's in front of us. We go, oh man, there's this problem in the church and that problem in the church. But you've got the world around you. There are countries without churches. There are people without hope. And our responsibility, yes, is to evangelize Poland, but it's to change the world. Amen? You know, I think about my, my dad. He's always said, I'll never live in a big city. Not if God can help it. But do you have any nevers in your life? I can tell you that Colina said she'd never live in two places, and we have lived in one of them and are now living in the other one. I think about Megan Matthews. Was here in Portland. She then went into, down to Chile to, uh, to be in the church and was trained. She then moved to South Central, the hood, and led the women's ministry there. And then now she came back to Portland where she said she'd never return. There's no nevers in God's book. And you know what happens is when you say never, he brings them up. Hey, you said you'd never go to that place. Well, guess what? I'm calling you to that place. See, but for us, Jesus did not call these men to Galilee. Yes, in Mark 1, he said, come follow me and I'll teach you to be fishers of men. But in Matthew 28, he said, go make disciples of all nations. See, Jesus had a worldwide view. And if he has a worldwide view, then we too have to have a worldwide view. You know, I think the encouragement is, what are we doing here? Why are we raising six times? Why are, why are we doing all these things? The will of God. If you're visiting, I beg you, join us. Help us.
There's so much to be done. Yes, we've been able to, we've been able to go from the movement be, our movement beginning in 2007 to now having nearly 60 churches. But there's still so much work. And yet Jesus in Matthew 9, he didn't pray for believers. He prayed for workers. Join us, help us. You know, but I think for us, the one quality that will break world evangelism is disunity. I believe that God can work through any and every situation for His glory, aside from disunity. Why? Because in John 17, verse 20 to 22, Jesus prayed for one thing, that the believers may be brought to complete unity. Jesus says, Father, as you and I are one, may they be one, so the world may know that you have sent them and have loved them as you have loved me. Guys, what is the expectation of unity that Jesus puts on us as a church, as an individual? That of the Trinity. He says, I want them to be as united as you and I are, God. But the question becomes, look around you. Is that the level of unity that you have this morning? You know, and I'm excited on Wednesday. We're starting first principles. Amen? What is first principles? Well, it's rooted from Hebrews 5. It's the basic fundamental teachings of the scriptures. If you're one of those people, you kind of, you want to put your hand up, you're like, I really don't know what the Bible teaches. Come Wednesday with us to PSU. Get into the scriptures. Learn the word. Why? Because at the end of the day as a church, we got to be on the rock. And the sand is ba based off of opinions and disunity cracks that rock. It causes it to become unstable. I love it because the word Unity is the word haste, which is the same word used for one. See, unity is oneness. Does that describe your relationships around you this morning? Are you one with the people around you? You ever felt conflicted mentally about friendships or a big decision you have to make? It's tough, isn't it? It's tiring. It pulls you emotionally. But when we're disunified, that's the same thing that happens here. There's a pulling of what we're trying to do. And so the challenge I want to give is very simple. Make a list why you're here. Make a list as to why you come here on Sunday morning. Make a list why you want to be a part of this church. Why this church? Because if at the end of the day, after an hour, you're staring at a blank page, you need to reevaluate your life and your investment. Because you should be able to make a list of reasons. You know what all of them are going to be rooted in? God's will. Not the people around you. Because what if everybody left? Would you still be a sold-out disciple? Or would you go with the rest of them? See, because guys, the reality for us is we have to live. Not just once or go, yeah, the will of God is a good idea. We need to live for the will of God. Which means that six times, no problem. Going on a mission team, no problem. Selling our homes, for those of us that maybe one day we get into further in Hillsboro, our land, right, like they did in the first century, no problem. Not an issue. Why? Because we're consumed by the will of God. But what moves you? What motivates you? Guys, I beg it, join with us. Every single one of us. We need to recommit ourselves this morning. Amen? See, but for us, guys, if we're going to have a salvation through transformation, we have to be righteously rooted in mercy. There's no other thing that can get us in connection with God except understanding His mercy. Point number two, we have to understand that conformity guarantees condemnation. You need to be uniquely different. The word holy means to be set apart and different. 
Your life should be different than everyone else. And point number three, you need to live for the will of God. Let's have a salvation through transformation. To God be the glory.